friend was Sweb, so I, I'm glad that there was a connection there. That guy. Oh yeah. His, All his roads Instagram lead back posts, to Sweb. Holy smokes, that guy knows everybody. It's crazy. It's like <laughs> every single day, my wife sends me a post of his, and she's like, "Holy smokes!" Because she's not confrontational, so it's like the perfect instigation of thoughts for her. But yes, Wade Joy, how are you today? I I'm excited for this podcast. I'm so honored to be here, Josh. Thanks for having me. And are are you still in the East Coast? I am with my family. Okay. We live in Charlotte. We've been here yeah. now for close to 16, 17 years or something like that. Wow. Yeah. So you're three hours ahead of me. We I've never been to North Carolina. I'm a big Duke fan. I don't know if that's gonna like ruin our friendship or anything, but No, we're we're good. Okay, good. So we my wife and I were in South Carolina like a month ago and it's muggy. Okay. To be honest. So South Carolina is where I grew up. No way. So where? I grew up in, in Columbia, South Carolina. Okay. And lived there. I mean, I went to college in South Carolina as well in Greenville, but most of my life until Charlotte was all in Columbia. And yes, mm. it is the one of the most humid places I've ever been to. And I just happened yeah. to live there for a long time. Uh, yeah, we were in Myrtle Beach and I was like, nope, we're not. We're not <laughs> Living in California now, it's like I, I was in Texas last month and I landed on the plane. I was like, nope, I need to go back. Can't do the buggy anymore. <laughs> I'm anti-muggy. Well, so so tell me, tell the listeners anyways, like I just shared a little bit, but this is conversation. So I just want to have a conversation with you as if you and I were at coffee. I think that's something. Is it, a, is it an issue that I don't drink coffee? No, not at all, actually. I oh, Okay. Maybe we could have some ice water together. I don't know what you drink, but. Um, my, my, my vice is Diet Coke, so we'll, we'll go with oh, that. Oh, nice. Yeah, I actually got canceled at a church event last week because everyone was saying Coke Zero is the best soda of all time. Oh no. I was like, I don't I don't know if that's actually the truth. I don't I don't know. But <laughs> so tell us a little about about you, who you are, maybe your journey. Like did you grow up in the church? Did you not? Just kind of give us the full rundown of who you are. All right. Yeah. I'll I'll try to give you the brief full rundown. <laughs> um right. So yeah, my name is is Wade and I've been married now to Gosh, we Ferris and I have been married, I think, 17 years now. And yeah, she's she's the most amazing thing about me. I have an amazing wife. We have three incredible daughters. I have twins that are 15, Adley and Liana, and then my youngest daughter, Sydney, is 10. So I'm surrounded by a lot of women in my house, but it's fun. I love it. Love being a dad. Mm-hmm. love just love my family so that's i always like to start there grew up in the church and my granddad was a pastor he had, had started this church plant in columbia my dad was the music minister there my mom played the organ my aunt and uncle were the youth pastor so it was like a real family affair so i grew up in church like always there my granddad was my hero growing up i wanted to be just like him and he led me to the lord when i was in 5th grade got baptized but then kind of my ideal church world came crashing down in middle school when my granddad, he is, was a recovered alcoholic, but he started drinking again in secret and he ended up having an affair with the secretary of the church and the church mm. fell apart. Our family almost fell apart. My grandmother was amazing in that season. She forgave my granddad. He, they reconciled, he repented. And their marriage was restored. He never got back into ministry after that point. But I, I say all that to say my earliest memories really of church were of just how tough it can be. Just, you know, 
moral failures, then people turning on each other, church splits, all of that. And even though we moved, my dad got a job at another church that was much healthier for years, even though I loved the Lord and I felt called into some type of vocational ministry in high school, I never wanted it to be in the church. And so I ran from that for a long time. I got into music in high school. I started all these Christian bands. I basically just wanted to be a Christian rock star. Like, growing up in the 90s, I, I wanted to be the next Stephen Curtis Chapman, another <laughs> short, blonde worship leader. But over the years, even though I was releasing my own music and trying to make it in the CCM world, I noticed that God always seemed to bless it when I led worship. And like I said, I kind of ran from that for a while, but the Lord slowly changed my heart. And I realized that I really felt like I had a passion and a gifting to do that. And then I ended up going on staff at a Methodist church in Lexington, South Carolina for three years. I was the contemporary worship leader, which wasn't very contemporary at all. And then I, I was also the youth pastor there. And for those three years, even though that church was not my stylistic preference, it wasn't even my theological background. I grew up Baptist. I saw how a church can change a community, and I fell in love with the local church again. And so that three years was very healing for me. It was very just transformational for, for my life. That's when my wife and I, we got married there. It was just really beautiful. And at that time is when I reconnected with a pastor that I had met when I led worship at youth camps and retreats in South Carolina, Pastor Stephen Furtick. He was the he was the speaker at those camps. I would lead worship, and we had lost touch, but I brought him in to do it. A disciple now weekend for my church. And he had just started a church called Elevation and asked me to come up and lead worship. So I did because he was leading worship and preaching for pretty much that whole first year of the church. Wow. And he offered a job to, to me to be a, the worship leader and production director at like the first satellite campus. And I said no and originally because I thought I was supposed to go plant a church in Columbia. He made a similar offer to a guy named Chris Brown, a similar offer to a guy named Matt Brock. All of us said no. And about two or three months later, he felt like he was supposed to ask all three of us, not just not pick one of us to come and be on staff, but he felt like he was supposed to ask all three of us to come and be on staff, even though we had all said no. Called us up to this dinner in the back room of this Italian restaurant, felt like super mafia godfather style and looked at me and said, Hey, if you plant that church, I'm sure it'll be great, but I think you'll miss out on God's will for your life. Come be a part of this church. That's going to impact thousands of church plants one day. And Elevation was really just meeting in one or two high schools at the time. And over the next several weeks, all three of us said yes. And that was the summer of 2007. And we all moved up to start what became Elevation Worship. And so I was worship pastor at Elevation Church for almost 15 years until the end of 2021. And I loved it. It was an amazing, amazing journey. And I thought I was going to be there till the end. And then about 18 months ago, I felt like the Lord impressed upon my wife and I that he had something new for us. And it was a really scary challenge, but we stepped out in faith and began the season I'm in now, which is coaching worship leaders and, and pastors and, and other leaders and writing. And I have a podcast and a book coming out. So it's a new season. But yeah, God's, God's taught me a lot. God is teaching me a lot, but we can dive yeah. into any of that that you want to. No, I mean, that number one, thank you for sharing the full, the full picture of your story. Because I think in these, these contexts, I think it'd be easy for you to go, yeah, I led at Elevation for 15 years. <laughs> and that's like, that's the portion that I hear, but I hear the full picture. 
So thank you for sharing that. And I think something, a couple things that I think I would love to hear from you anyways, because my, the audience of this is younger pastors. It's like yeah. 20 to 25 year olds who are just getting started in ministry. What would you advise to them? Because you, you've, you served in the same church for 15 years. You're at a Methodist church before that. Like you've, you've been in church, you grew up in church and you still love yeah. the church. So how, how does somebody who's 21 stay in love with the church? maybe by what they're doing today. Oh yeah. I think you stay in love with the church when you stay in love with Jesus. Hmm. And, and I think that that's something that the Lord really took me on a journey over my 15 years, especially at Elevation, because one other thing I didn't talk about is I've got my three daughters all have different special needs. So my twins were born three months premature. They had a really rough road at the beginning in the hospital for three months. Like I said, born at 27 weeks, we were told they probably would survive. And then one of mm -hmm. my twins has a grade four brain bleed, which has led to mild cerebral palsy weakness on her right side. And then four years later, when we had the courage to have another child, Sydney, she was born with something called cystic fibrosis. So, which is a lifelong, very serious condition. Now, thankfully the Lord has done miracles in their life and they're all doing incredibly well. But as I was doing ministry, we were also navigating some really difficult family dynamics. Right. And I remember hitting a point around 2020, which no one was loving 2020, but I remember hitting a point where I was sitting on my back porch and I was praying and I was like, God, I feel like I feel completely worn down, completely empty. I don't feel any of the abundant life that I've told people they can have in you. And I just offered a simple prayer. I was like, God, I just, I need your help. And I felt like the Lord really impressed upon my heart that I was not creating the spaces in my heart through spiritual rhythms and disciplines that allowed him to do the healing work he wanted to do in me. And as I looked at my life, I realized that I had run from discipline, thinking it was legalism and they're not the same thing. Because growing up in the church, I ran from anything that felt legalistic in terms of, you know, having a structure for how I read my Bible or having a certain rhythm for how I prayed. And I realized that just slowly and slowly over the years, as ministry got heavier and tougher and we were in 2020 and I was worried about Sydney and her cystic fibrosis and COVID and we we're trying to figure out how to do church and all these pressures, mm -hmm. I was operating out of my own strength. And I was only going to the word of God when I needed something to teach, or I was checking my quiet time box off of my like daily to-do list. Right. And I just realized I had, to, I had to decide, do I really believe that the source of my life and joy and peace and contentment is found in Christ alone and is found in his word and is found in, his, in prayer? And if I believe that, I had to structure my life around it. And I think that began a journey for me that has changed everything in this season of my life. It's changed the way I pray. It's changed the way I structure my day. It's changed my love for the church, but it all stems from growing in my love for Jesus. And it doesn't mean I feel like super close to God all the time, but in posturing my life with healthy rhythms for the Holy Spirit to change me, it number one shows me how much I need the grace of Jesus. And when I realize I need the grace of Jesus, I can give that grace to other people. And I think in doing that, it gives you grace for the church. It gives you love for the church. It helps you see, just have a burden for people because they're not 
the only ones that need the gospel. I still need the gospel. And when we realize that we all need that together and we all need Jesus, it reframes church from this corporate thing that you're trying to build to this community that is our lifeblood that we need. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that that would be. Yeah, I what comes to mind anyways is the the savior complex that I think we all can kind of default to in ministry. Like you said, I, I, I've caught myself reading the Bible because I had a leadership session that week and I was like, <laughs> right. I, I got nothing. Or there's a conversation that I know is going to be about a specific topic. And I'm like, well, got to read up on that again versus actually being from an outflow. And I, I feel like mm-hmm. I've asked this. I think this is our 42nd podcast. Every single one I've had, I asked somebody, what, like, what is your rhythms? Like you, so you talked about yeah. legalism versus disciplines. Like, what did you design in your maybe daily routine or, or maybe mm-hmm. monthly routine, whatever, to sustain the health spiritually, physically with your wife, your spouse, all that? Yeah. And, and I really like the word rhythms over disciplines, even though I, I'm fine with the word discipline. But I think rhythm implies that it can change and it can flow mm-hmm. in different seasons of your life. And I'll even like circle back to discipline and legalism and the difference. Yeah. Legalism is trying to prove that you are worthy or trying to impress or earn love by what you do. And that's too heavy a weight for any of us to bear. Like Jesus took care of that on the cross. Mm-hmm. Discipline is, is building your life around your priorities and what is most important. And so it started for me three years ago, just making very small changes in all aspects of life, because also realizing that you're not compartmentalized as a person. There's not the spiritual you, the physical you. It's all one you. There's not the ministry you, the family you. So it it started with me changing the way I ate and my diet. And when I got up in the morning, like, like little changes like that. And then also along with that, little changes with how I prayed. And so I started using an an app called Lectio 365 that it's by the 24 seven prayer organization and movement. And so it's a guided prayer through praying through scripture every day. And it incorporates small times of silence. And it also prays, forces you to look outside of yourself to pray for things going on in the world and other people. And so I started doing that. I started praying the Lord's prayer every day at lunch and then trying to do a gratitude prayer at night. And over time, it changed to, you know, me spending more and more time in silence and trying to just like prioritize just listening to the Holy Spirit and seeing what comes up. It moved to me praying through different, I have almost have like a personal liturgy of different Psalms that I pray through. I've never been a journaler before. I, I, I journal now. So I'll tell you what I did this morning. This morning, I've been the last two days in Psalm 25 because I'm really asking God for guidance in some areas. And so I just meditated on Psalm 25. I prayed through Lectio 365 that today. And then I just journaled some really honest prayers to God. Like, God, this is how I'm feeling right now, but this is the truth of who I know you are. And I was just trying to anchor my heart in that. And then I just sat outside in silence for a while and and try to discern if the Holy Spirit was speaking anything to me. And sometimes I feel it and sometimes I don't, but I know that there's always value in posturing myself before the Lord saying, God, I need you. Mm -hmm. And so then like our family really began to adopt more of a Sabbath rhythm as well of making Sabbath intentional and not just an unintentional day off. 
And so that involved for me, I can be very attached to my phone for work, but then also mm -hmm. just because I can become addicted to it. So we have a little phone bucket that we put our phones in that day um, that helps me and my wife who cares less about technology. She can decide if we can take the phone out if we need it. So that's been one thing that's been helpful for for our marriage. We've been trying to memorize scripture as a family and then just not just talk about God throughout the day and what he's teaching and our like our real struggles. And like if I'm frustrated about something and I'm wrestling with something in prayer, I try to even talk to my kids about that because I want them to see that faith is not this polished thing that always has to look perfect. That right. real faith is is a lot of questions sometimes. And a lot of, God, I feel like I'm praying and I don't feel like you're answering. I want them to see that side of prayer too. But I still realize I have this thing in me that still feels like, oh, I've got to do it a certain way each day. And what, mm -hmm. I, what I'm trying to, to unlearn is say, no, I don't have to do it the same way each day, but I do need to pray each day. So let me, let me prioritize the set times of prayer and then I can, I like to change it up how I do it, if that makes sense. No, yeah, it's super helpful. What what would you say to a young ministry leader about the importance, even specifically like worship leaders? Like there's a lot of outpouring you do on a weekend or a Wednesday mm -hmm. night. What what is that importance of solitude and being by yourself and not talking so much and and just doing things to mm -hmm. do them, but to sit in silence with your own thoughts and to, yeah. like you said, discern the Holy Spirit? Like what what would you advise to a young leader about that? I mean, I think it is, I don't think it's optional. I think it's necessary. And it doesn't mean you have to spend an hour in silence every day, but you should start with, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend one minute in silence. I'm going to take, put my phone away and then I'm going to try to work myself up to five minutes and maybe 10 minutes because we are so programmed right now to always have, we can't be bored. We don't know how to sit still with our own thoughts. We are always having to fill in the blank space, but God speaks in the blank space. God moves in the blank space. And if we don't stop and say, okay, God, I know I can keep trying to manipulate outcomes. I know I can continue to try to strive to make certain things happen, but I'm going to trust that more than any of that, I just need to sit in your presence. Not because I need something from you. I don't need an answer. Maybe I do need an answer, but even if you don't give one, I know I need your presence and I need to tune my heart to your presence. And so I would just say, make it a goal to just start anywhere from one to five minutes of silence a day, because it does a couple of things. Number one, we're afraid sometimes to slow down because we don't like confronting what will rise to the surface if we do. And so that can be your own ego, your own pride, your own fear. And it's easier to stay busy and push it down than actually slow down and deal with it. So I think when things rise to the surface, it's not meant to bring shame. It's meant for us to be able to say, okay, Holy Spirit, show me how to deal with this. Show me how to process this. Maybe show me who I need to go talk to to help me process this. And then it also allows you to, to say, okay, God, what scriptures do I need to focus on right now? What is your spirit speaking to me? Because I do believe I can we better posture ourselves to hear from the Holy Spirit when we be still, when we're still. And then I've also found that it's a great time to practice centering prayer. Of uh, Sometimes it's just meditating on this one phrase, the Lord is my, the Lord is my shepherd, or 
Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Like just these thoughts that you can just anchor deep into your soul. One mm -hmm. scripture you meditate on. And I think that's another way God speaks as you just really anchor your heart in one thought about his character, one thought about who he is. So I think there's multiple reasons why you should do it. Yeah. But if we feel if you're a worship leader or a pastor, somebody on stage, but even beyond that, somebody just in regular conversation, you're leading a family, you're you're encouraging your friends. You want to give something that comes from what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of you. And, and I think that requires us to stop and actually be aware of what the Holy Spirit wants to do inside of us. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. I feel like everything you're saying right now is money. It's just, it's so tangible and so true. I went through maybe, I don't know, I don't remember the year, maybe 2019 reading through The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Mm -hmm. John Mark That's Homer. a great book. And it's probably like one of the top books that has challenged me on just how much, how busy we are. And yeah, it's, it's almost been like a trigger word now when I hear somebody saying they're busy. It's like, yeah. that's not good at all, dude. That's not, that doesn't equate to effectiveness. So it's super mm -hmm. helpful. I want to, so, yeah, you go. Well, one thing I was talking with someone yesterday that, that I was, that I coach is, so yes, busy can be a bad thing, but that doesn't mean walking with God is easy either. Like it can be very hard. Like there's hard things that God calls us to. If you look through the New Testament, Paul's life was probably pretty, I mean, not probably, it was very difficult and there were seasons of busyness. So I think if we think we have to erase every season of busyness from our life, that will be a very defeating thing. I think the thing is for us is to look at our priorities and cut out the unnecess unnecessary busyness, the things that are occupying our time that don't line up with our priorities. And then from that, how do we prioritize having a restful heart, even when we have to do hard work? And even when it's a season where you're a dad and a husband and you're a pastor and it feels like all these things are competing because there will be days like that, which is even more why you have to have a heart at rest, even while your hands are at work. So because I, I see a lot of people now feeling like they have to erase all busyness or hard work. And that can also feel like a futile pursuit. So I think it's, it's getting rid of the things that shouldn't be there. So you can be more intentional about the things that are there. I do, I do want to learn about your book. I want to learn about the journey of what kind of instigated the thought of what you should write mm -hmm. about, maybe what stirred up in your heart to write about it. So talk to me about like the genesis of thinking about writing a book, because it's a big deal. Like writing a book is a big deal. It's a lot of time you spend on something. Like, talk to me about that. Well, I think even the, to answer that question, it goes back to the theme of the book itself, because the book is called This Dream Is Not For You, Learn to Live by Letting Go. And, you know, over the course of my time at Elevation, I was on two simultaneous journeys when it came to, to my dream. So I was living out one dream for my life that I'd always prayed for to, to, to really see God use me through music and worship leading and one day writing songs. And for the first seven years of my 15 years at Elevation, I felt like I was living in the middle of those dreams because I was, I was able to be the worship pastor. So I loved investing in people. It was a growing church. People were being saved. 
but I was also getting to lead worship and write songs and record on albums and the like elevation worship was growing. So I felt like I was living in that dream. But, you know, sometime in that, that first season, I remember I had a conversation with pastor Steven where he told me, you know, Chris and Mac, they are incredible worship leaders and vocalists, and there's an anointing on them to do that. And they're great songwriters. And he said, I think you have, you're good at those things, but you have a lid, but I think you have the potential to be in the gifting, to be a great pastor, teacher, shepherd. And one day you're going to have to decide if you're willing to let go of what you're good at in order to take hold of what God's called you to be great at. And Mm. that was not an easy thing to hear or a fun thing to hear, or even something I was ready to, to accept right away. But I remember after one of those conversations where it became very apparent that this is, it wasn't necessarily the shift wasn't happening right then, but it was going to come. And I I came home that day, just feeling like my dream had died. And I went upstairs and I was just having one of those conversations of like how I was right and they were wrong. And just like, God, what are people going to see? And mm-hmm. I took me a while before I got to the place where I was like, okay, I should probably see what God's word has to say about this. And I looked at my Bible that was open at the foot of my bed and it was open to where I'd finished reading it that day. And it was at first Chronicles 28. And it says this, and I'll just read it. It says, King David rose to his mm-hmm. feet and said, listen to me, my fellow Israelites, my people. I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord for the footstool of our God, and I made plans to build it. But God said to me, you are not to build a house for my name because you are a warrior and have shed blood. Now, I didn't think I was a warrior or had shed blood, and I'm not saying I was was David either. (laughs) But there was something in that about how David had something in his heart to do, Mm -hmm. and God told him no through the prophet Nathan. And it started me on this journey to be like, okay, sometimes there can be things in my heart that I feel like are from God, but I see them at a different level than God sees them. And maybe it's the right dream, but it's going to play out in a different way. Maybe I was supposed to help build something for other people to walk in and other people to live in. Maybe it's not the right timing, but it started to get me, number one, it helped me reassure that while yes, that scripture was talking about um, the temple of the Lord and how Yeah, David wanted to build a house for God. God ultimately wanted to build a house through David through which the Messiah would come. Um, Mm -hmm. But it was an example of how we are called to submit all of our dreams, all of our desires to the Lord and place them under his authority and yield them to his plans and his dream. And so that just began to be something that was working in my heart behind the scenes over the years. And as God began to transform my heart, I began to realize that I had more joy over the years. It didn't come at once. It, it was a process, but I began to have more joy in walking or watching other people live out the dream I used to think I couldn't live without. So seeing other people carry songs on albums when I was more behind the scenes. You know, I used to not know who I was if I wasn't Wade the worship leader. But once God helped pry my hands open and let go of that, I began to dream new dreams, dreams about teaching and preaching and writing a book. So when you talk about where did writing the book idea come from, yeah, it really came from God saying no to my dream of being a songwriter and no to my dream of being a worship leader, because then my hands were open to dream new dreams. And I think the problem in our Christian culture today and why I think your dreams can be dangerous is because we equate our dream with our lifelong purpose <clears throat> in that we think that 
our life only matters if we're living in our dream. And we think that everything that we want to do, every passion that we have, that must be God's purpose for us. And life rarely looks or works out like that. And so if you attach your right. meaning and purpose to your dream and then you don't get your dream, does that mean you have no purpose? Or you get your dream and it doesn't fulfill you the way you thought, and then that disillusions you. So I think the book is an exploration of how do you dream well? Because I do believe God wants you to dream. I think every good thing in this world started with a dream. And especially if it aligns with God's dream for his kingdom. And so how can we dream with open hands the way a disciple dreams? And that requires surrender to realize that mm -hmm. your dream is always going to look different than it does in your head when it's actually birthed in reality. And sometimes it's going to exceed your expectations. Right. Sometimes it won't. But none of that changes your purpose as a disciple of Jesus. So that's what the book is really about. I talk about my, per my professional journey and ministry journey at Elevation. I also talk about the dreams you have for your family with my kids, where the dream that we had for them when they were born and you know them being in perfect health, that didn't play out the way we thought it would either. And so really the book is a process of, number one, how to redefine your dream and place it into God's narrative of his dream and his purposes and his plans. Then it's also about how to release your grip, how to truly trust and live and surrender, how to reclaim your purpose, stop giving away your purpose, but you can bring your purpose into every area of your life, and then how to run your race, how to embrace your uniqueness and do the things that God has called you to do right now, not one day off in the future when you live in your dream, but actually live it right now. So that's that's the genesis of the book, and that's what I'm passionate about in this season. Let's... I've I feel like there's a, there's a lot of books being written and a lot of authors being instigated to think about things, but I feel like this might be one of the most helpful things in our and so I'm Gen Z in my generation and even millennials who we because I feel like that's the thing in the church right mm -hmm. is like our purpose our dreams Jeremiah twenty nine <laughs> right. eleven baby let's go and it's like I I I I hope anyways every person listening to this to sound of my voice. We'll buy the book and we'll we'll dissect it because I I know even by this thirty minute conversation you you've lived enough life to be able to write about something that is beautiful. Can I show the people watching this yeah. what the book? Yeah, <clears throat> go for it, guys. How cool is this? Talk to me. Like, how does it feel? You are an author now. <laughs> it 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 feels really exciting. Yeah, and also scary and vulnerable. I mean, the book, there's so much of my life right. and my life message mm -hmm. in the book. But really, I I think if I had to sum up the book in one or a couple words, one sentence is that Jesus can be trusted. And I really want mm -hmm. people to get that. So I'm excited for the message of the book to help people. But I think there's always that. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, honestly, as I'm thinking about your question, as I'm answering it, I, I really think it's beautiful because I didn't know to dream this dream for most of my life. And, yeah, you know, here I am at 47 about to release my first book. And to me, that helps prove the point of the book that don't define the whole story of your life by one chapter and what may be happening or not happening for you in that one chapter. You have no idea the full narrative that God's going to write through you. And if you think that all of your life and your impact and what God's going to do through you hinges, on this one scene that you're in, 
that's where so much anxiety and depression and fear comes from. And that's why we just clench our fists rather than just walking like open-handed before God saying, God, I trust you. And there were so many seasons in my life where I was freaking out, like, God, I don't know what the future holds. And still I freak out. I was praying this morning in Psalm 25 about like, show me the right path to take God. Am I on it? Because I'm human and it can be scary sometimes. But man, Jesus really is so, so good. And he's so much better than that at least I walk like sometimes and he is, mm-hmm. he ordains every step he's with you and you can't, there's nothing you can do that will make you lose your purpose or your calling or your impact as a follower of Jesus. You can carry that with you into any season of your life in a job you love and a job you hate in a church that's growing in a church mm-hmm. that feels like it's plateaued, but it all depends on, you realizing that I can serve God in the ordinary moments, not just the dramatic moments that line up with my dream there. I'll I'll get off my soapbox. Yeah, no, I love it. It's so good. Yeah. I, like I said, I just help us understand how we can find the book. So this will come out the week of the launch. I'm super excited. Everyone listening to this, the book is launching this (laughs) week. How do we, how do we find it? Yeah. I mean, you can find it just Search This Dream Is Not For You by Wade Joy, mm-hmm. J-O-I-E, on Amazon, Target, Barnes & Noble, any of those places. Or you can go to my website, wadejoy.com, and I, I'll have links for all of that as well. Let's go. And even on the other side of it, maybe surprisingly, I'm not a worship leader at all, but there's a lot of people who lead worship who listen to this in a lot of my audience. like Maybe they're like, hey, I would love to connect. Maybe we can get on yeah. Zoom and talk through a worship culture or we, we want you as a coach how do we how do we get a hold of you for that as well? yeah you can i mean follow me on instagram i'm I'm most active there on social so at wade joy mm-hmm. once again the e on the joy and then or wadejoy.com has all the information there and i have a i even have yeah. an online course for worship leaders called performer to pastor that details Great. a lot of what i learned at elevation so maybe that would be helpful too absolutely well, thank you so much for being on. Seriously, I, I've I've really appreciated you being vulnerable and sharing your story, sharing not just the highlights, but the full picture of who you are. And I think this book is going to impact thousands of people. And I'm oh. excited. I was diving it this morning and yesterday and I was like, well, it's my book. <laughs> my my wife has been making me feel convicted because she's reading a lot right now. And it's like, okay, you got to keep up too. It's like I've been off my, my reading game. Last year I read I think like 55 books. Oh. It was like so overwhelmed with the amount of content I consumed. This year I was like, I'm just going to read the Bible. <laughs> right. Like, and Which if you're going to pick, if you're going to pick one to read, like, that's, that's the one. <laughs> All right. It's like, if we're going to read one book. We might as well just read the Bible. But I have been, I mean, I have been reading other books. So I, I pivoted really quick because it's, you got to, you got to read. Mm-hmm. So readers are leaders or readers, right? Yes. I don't know. I mean, what I'm reading that's right true, now, but... I'll give it a shameless plug is, uh, Leap Over a Wall by Eugene Peterson. It's about David, mm. which kind of goes along with my book too. But that, this book that I'm reading now is awesome too. So after you read, I just, I was going to say, after you read, this dream is not for you, then check that one out. I just, I just finished. It's like a, every, every pastor's read this book, but Fresh Wind, Fresh yep. Fire. And oh my gosh, it is so convicting. It's like, holy smokes. Yeah, it's incredible. But thank you so much for being on, Wade. Seriously, it was fun. I'm glad that we were able to connect. Same here. And everyone listening to this, follow Wade on social media, buy his book, and we'll we'll chat soon. Thank you so much, Josh.
Take care. Boom. We did.